0: Greetings, adventurers. Before we begin today's tale, we'd like to talk about our sponsor for a service that is both useful and important. We speak, of course, of NordVPN. NordVPN is a virtual private network application, basically a magic item with infinite counterspell scrolls that can work against the scrying factions of the interwebs and various protective charms that keep your virtual communication pigeons and messages safe. In a technical sense, it establishes a secure connection to a remote server in the astral plane and allows you to access so much more content from across the world and greater multiverse.
1: We set up our podcasting business while we still lived in the U.S., but after moving to Germany, we saw several problems arise we hadn't expected. Some of the things we needed on a daily basis are region-locked to the U.S., like our banking. So we started using a VPN to securely log onto the banking website until we could talk to our bank about the issue. After two hours talking with them, their grand solution was exactly what we had figured out. NordVPN.
0: But NordVPN isn't only a stoic bodyguard, it also has a fun side. Did you know that a large variety of entertainment is region-locked, like your old DVDs? What's a DVD? Let's not make us feel old, and instead explain that while you're logged into NordVPN, you can stream television shows as if you were in a different country. I mean, realm state. So you might have access to an entirely new lineup of great entertainment from services you're already paying for and subscribed to. NordVPN even unlocked a menagerie of new German horror content we'd never even heard of and are delighted to be enjoying every week.
1: To get the best discount for your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash darkdice. Our link also gives listeners four extra months on a two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you've been thinking about using a VPN or are looking for a newer and safer way to utilize the content you're already paying for—
0: or really paranoid that the silent one is secretly reading your
1: emails, give NordVPN a try.
2: Shalesti
3: pace, sallies.
4: Do you seek him? Do you seek him? Do you seek him? Do you seek him? Do you seek him?
5: Do you seek seek the
0: nameless god? You have found yourself among those who roll the dark dice. What you are about to hear happened long ago—a story brought back from the edge of oblivion, dutifully transcribed and enhanced orally to better captivate your attention. Previously. The Willow's Wake survived an attack by beasts from the deepest depths. As artifacts vanish, and prisoners dream of freedom, they reach their first destination. Dark Dice, Shores of the Silver Thrum, Chapter 4, The Sunken Bulwark.
1: As Ajay Ogun, the shaman of the Sangoma, ascended through the mess of the Willow's Wake, he was relieved to see no one around, and took a short time to scribble a note on a piece of bark paper he had brought with him. It was just then that his target, Convo, emerged from the galley, two buckets of offal in each hand. He nodded hello.
5: Ah, please, let me help you. And Ajay's going to take that opportunity to move forward and take, what was it, the, um, was it, was it buckets? Yeah. He takes the buckets of guts, <laughs> and in that moment he slips a note into Convo's pocket.
0: Convo didn't protest and let Ajay help, because frankly, it smelled awful, and he just wanted it off the ship as soon as possible. Oh, thanks.
1: They proceeded up the stairs, pouring the innards overboard, then each took their leave to carry on in their respective days.
6: While the days are going by, every time I see Ajay, I make extended eye contact with him and think really hard. Your suspicions are right, act on them. Your suspicions are right, act on them. He's probably all freaked out because I'm just staring at him.
5: I think Ajay I, I think is meeting- I think every time you look at Ajay, RJ, Ajay's already looking at you, just like- It's like a hard stare, but also very confused. <laughs>
6: Your suspicions are right. Act on the... I'm just thinking it. I'm just thinking it over and over. I'm doing what the
1: religious guy in the hole told me to do, and that's it. On the early morning of the fifth day, on the deck, under the heavy clouds of a cold winter day, Convo thought to steal some time to ease his worries. So much had happened on this voyage already, and he wanted answers, or at least some assurances, before they reached their first destination.
7: Um, so basically after the funeral... Uh, especially after the death of a crewmate. I think it's kind of important to highlight some of the things that have been happening before we get into a new environment. So I approach the second mate who sends me to the captain the next shift to have a serious talk. Hey, so just everybody knows, I've been seeing this one individual trying to sneak in on a regular into the cargo area. And we're trying to hold the owl bear and the prisoner. So I wanted to bring to everybody's attention. Also, just so you know, I wasn't aware that when you said we had a prisoner, that you actually meant a person. I thought you were being funny about the owlbear. So is there anything I need to know about him?
8: Ah, well, he's a criminal, and he's done some fairly terrible things in the North Realm. He fled to the Bright Vale, was picked up by bounty hunters, and now he's on his way to what will likely be an execution. There is to be a trial, but I believe it's just a formality. Be wary of him. He'll probably say and do anything to get out of his death sentence, which is why the cage has the runes. And I've asked the... Wait. Who was the person
7: that was going in? It's that rich tiefling girl, sir. She's been snooping around, and I caught her red-handed a couple of times. She seems very curious about the guy down there. Oh. And this is actual proof. I think. Uh, Somebody slipped me this note without me noticing, and according to Yara... ...who was kind enough to read it for me. Uh, It's pretty good evidence, sir. Look, aside from the visuals, I don't trust V. Do not let her near the prisoner. They've been speaking, and she might try to help him.
8: That's very upsetting. But it's in line with what I thought. Come in. Captain. Ah,
3: I've said you were looking for me.
8: Yes. I have a request of you when we reach the sunken bulwark... I... I would like to assign both of you to, um... Follow Lady Viviana. Copy, sir. You can say that you're protecting Lan, but really, you're there to learn more information about what Lady Bloodchamber's intentions are. With her family's history, can't be overly cautious. Also, make sure she doesn't cause any trouble on the bulwark.
3: Aye, 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 sir.
7: Sir, Uh, at any point in time, should she not make it back into the ship?
8: That's rather blunt, she should make it back to the ship. With I'd, all
7: due respect, sir, we lost a crewmate.
8: I'd still like to believe she was not involved. She actually... She most likely saved more lives than she could potentially hurt if this ends up being a case of youthful curiosity. I'm curious as well about how this is all tied together and who wrote this note.
9: <sighs>
8: I don't recognize the handwriting... But I will say that for now, Lady Viviana Bloodchamber is a paying customer. She's on the willow under my care, and she has to make it to Winterport unharmed. Our reputation is important, and we don't want to make someone disappear. Especially someone so high profile, unless we can prove there is substance to these allegations. Her family are among some of the best spies and assassins in Helendria. Oh, sir, I, I didn't mean it like that. I just said not make it back to
7: the willow. I didn't mean like down with sleeping with a fishy sort of situation. Uh, I just mean a person that didn't make it in time to the ship and it sailed away. That sort of. No,
8: that would also affect our reputation. Just, Just keep an eye out. Learn what you can.
7: Copy, sir. Eyes and ears, but no muscle.
8: And please, once we get to the bulwark, make sure that her curiosity stays clear of the bloody cave. Oof, with a name like that... Who'd want to go there? No, 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 no. It's not called the Bloody Cave. It's it's a myth from the bulwark. But it's also a real place. The Divining Conch Cave. It's a tidal cave. Quite dangerous, so just stay clear of it. That goes for both of you, and double for Miss Blood Chamber.
3: Aye, sir. Absolutely. It'll we'll stay okay.
8: clear. You're dismissed.
10: Occur.
7: Hey, Yara. Over the last few days, I've seen you doing a lot of whispering to Seelie. And uh, I think I saw her nod just now. Can you communicate with Seelie? Is it just kind of like talking one-way street when you talk to her?
3: Like, does she tell you things? She's not... I don't, I don't know if you've been around animals uh, that much, Campbell, and I'm sorry to say this as bluntly as I do, but they don't really talk to people Uh, that's not how it works but she does understand in ways that we may not understand um she'll help me out from time to time if you if (laughs) hey hey no judgment no judgment in my time i've seen some weird shit i'm just i'm just gonna say she's she's not just good at Picking out rats where no rats should be, um, but she's, always, she's also she's got good eyesight, uh, so if you, if you need a second set of eyes over your shoulder, she's there for you. For me. I think we both may need a second set of eyes,
7: or in this case, a third set.
3: Yare does a special kind of pat on
0: his shoulder, and Cili takes to the sky and starts circling. A few moments later, the owl gave out a high-chittered screech, indicating to Yara what he wanted to know, that she saw land.
1: It takes a knowledgeable sailor to find their way to the sunken bulwark. Luckily, the Willow's Wake had such in number. The ancient vessel flew across chopping waves, bearing towards a sheer rising cliff face of ink-black rock. Those stone shards, a great reaching hand, thrusted above the waves in a final grasp for life. Closer and closer now, the willow's wake didn't slow, and its steady, sturdy navigator stayed the course. Surely, if the rocks were approaching too quickly, if there was danger fast at hand, the galleon would slow, turn, or drop anchor. Closer still, the black cliffs wrapped around the ship as the willow sailed into an enclosed bay.
8: Open the hatch!
1: Wood and rope were already in motion. The hatch opened, metal crashing to the deck. Inside, a small space was already created and deckhands leapt down. From above the top sails and mast peaks, through a layer of fog, lowered a heavy net suspended by thick jute rope, its origins somewhere far, far above in the rocky cliffs remained shrouded. It descended into the cargo hold and after loud clattering and quick work, the rope ascended yet again. Atop the netting, small hand around thick rope, Av rose out from the cargo hold, standing atop the net filled with barrels, crates, and more. Before the net had risen too far, she jumped to the deck, and the rope continued its ascent, vanishing up into the fog above. What's all that about?
8: Offerings to the sunken priests and the faithful who live in service on the bulwark. Still more to go, though.
1: Long moments passed in the dark bay the roar of the sea much lessened by the enclosure of tall, unyielding cliffs. A whistle, and all could then see the rope descend yet again moments later, ready for another haul.
8: Let's get it off my willow!
1: Captain Victor Gelmain of the Willow's Wake stood next to Lan, Vind, and Viviana, all watched in anticipation as, from below, a loud screech and roar rose from the Willow's belly. The rope whipped, then pulled taut. As it rose, the disconnected net was resting atop the cage, the hook locked to the cage's top. Within, the bear hollered and growled as it looked up to see rocks, the sea, and a dark sky. It briefly locked eyes with vind, snarling, before it rose through the fog and out of sight, its howls soon vanishing with it. Up above the line of the masts, a flickering light came into view, clearing the willow to dock. Navigator Looper and the ship's sea sorcerer passed the ship on slowly, all but one sail now furled for a smooth approach. Over the following twenty minutes in eerie silence, the willow left the small inlet and moved on toward parts of the fog-shrouded island. Eventually, for those with keen night eyes, a worn wooden dock faded into view. They had arrived at the sunken bulwark. On first impression, it seemed like a dead place. No plants, no small fish feeding in the dock waters, no noisy dock hands working or laughing. Nothing. Except for the other wooden hulls, quiet as husks, docked nearby. And even they barely appeared through the fog. As the crew threw ropes and secured the willow to the dock, Captain Gelmain broke the silence.
8: None of you've ever been here before, then. Well, welcome to the sunken bulwark. The sunken faithful are the only ones living on these barren rocks, which is why seafarers like us drop off offerings. Well, not drop off, really, since they lift them into the sky.
1: (laughs) Captain Gelmayne pointed towards a section of dark rocks among the rolling clouds of fog.
8: Now, when we disembark, there's only one path, one way to go. It will take you north and loop back south in a switchback up the cliffs, leading to one of only two places on the islands, Sorrow's Edge. On the other side of Sorrow's Edge, a bit further up, the path leads to the Sunken Temple. Sorrow's Edge is the public house if you need a meal, drink, or just want to sleep on solid ground for the night. And the um, Sunken Temple is where the ritual will be taking place today or tomorrow. I'm pretty sure it's today. Now, I expect all crew to be there at the temple for the ritual, the observance of last light. And if you're planning to attend, don't be late. When the Faithful, the people wearing blue robes, start walking, just follow their lead and we'll have we'll have the observance of last night to see through together. <laughs> well, I have preparations to make. Yare and Convo here will take good care of you.
6: Psst, Lan, wait. So what's a Sunken Faithful?
2: So, the Sunken Faithful are priests and priestess who worship all Neldeech, the Sunken One. Oh, so it's like a cult. No, it's not a cult. It's an official religion for people who dedicate their lives to the service of the Sunken One, a goddess who is also worshipped by mostly all religions, and especially sailors. She's the god of the sea, the ocean, the flow of the tides, and rumbling earthquakes deep beneath the ground. She's also the goddess of fortune for both wealth and travel, and forbidden love. That's cool, I guess. Yes, very cool indeed. The Sunken Bulwark, and, along with the Sunken Temple, have been here for at least a thousand years. And like the captain said, the island is inhabited entirely by the faithful. Totally a cult. Just everything you're saying, very cult. Totally,
6: totally not. not.
8: <laughs> Thank you.
2: And the people here cannot farm anything. They only collect food that the ocean provides and use offerings given to them as alms. Like those taken from our boat, the barrels of oil, boxes of dried fish or dried pork. All very common offerings they could receive. Spices and everything else, those are common as well. Because otherwise, there will never be sustainable life on a southern bulwark.
11: I didn't know you were so knowledgeable about
2: this place. It's my family's job to know these sorts of things... Historically, people come here as part of a larger pilgrimage dedicated to multiple gods. They'll stop here at the Sunken Boulevard to give a personal offering to Deach, then travel further north through Winterport like us to see the seat of the Storm God, the Sunken One's divine brother, Deach, and give an offering there too. They might also come or go from somewhere else as part of a bigger pilgrimage.
10: Exactly right, Lon. That's our plan. We're hoping to receive better weather and bountiful harvest this year by undertaking a journey almost identical to the one you just described.
2: And as Galming and some of the other crew members explained, every 10 years, ships will often come here to either receive their first blessing or renew their blessing. And we're in luck. Really quite lucky because we're here for the observance of last light. Everyone keeps saying that like I know what it means. Do you remember how I mentioned that my homeland is covered in endless darkness and never sees a sun? Um, no. Did you say that? Well, every year, lands this far north have several months where there's no light during the winter. No sunrise. No sunset. The observance of last light is the ritual held on the last day before that happens. It's a celebration of sorts for the morning lord, Seligon. And most people who live this far north say goodbye to him with the hopes of not seeing him for a few months. Why would they not
11: want you to see the
2: sun? Because if they do see him, it means they've died and seen the sun on the other side. Ah, that makes sense. And you worship, what, S- Right? Correct. So, this day holds a special and personal significance to my family, and by extension, me. We should avoid getting into trouble or doing anything that would risk us missing the observance ritual. I actually want to make an offering, too, just like the captain. Because I'm not like superstitious, but I am a little stitious. Just saying.
7: So uh, really quick, Viviana, Lon, you're both dressed kind of formal right now, like a noble and a bodyguard. And I'm worried that we might draw some attention here. Given the kind of creepy reputation of this establishment, might I recommend that you ladies maybe dress down to draw less attention?
2: This is an island of priests who literally live in caves. Nobles come here all the time to bless their ships. There's nothing to worry about. Unless you're worried about maybe being converted. Huh. Convold thinks priests are thieves.
6: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not afraid of the thieves. Those that pretend to be. You know, I agree with you, buddy. I think, uh, yeah, religious... We'll never really got into religion. Um, awesome. Okay, uh, Viviana's gonna, like, kind of, like, skulk near... At the back of the line, you know, wherever that is. Just, you know, slowly trailing behind.
7: So as Viviana actually starts kind of skulking and getting into the line, Convo actually gets right behind her and kind of taps her on the shoulder really quick. Mm-hmm. Viviana, sorry to bother you. Can can I talk to you for a moment?
6: Oh, yeah, sure. What's up, my man? I mean, Orc. Sorry. Is that offensive?
7: I couldn't care less. Uh, to be honest, uh, I've been a bit of a pain in your ass and you've been a little bit pain in my ass. It kinda of wanna set the record straight. I'm concerned about your behavior on the Willow. We are a small crew, and the orders and rules we have exist to ensure everyone's survival. As you saw, we already lost someone. <sighs> what I'm trying to say here is I've been hard on you. It's not because I think you're a pain in the ass. It's more so that I kind of think that we need to be respectful of the order of the ship so that everybody can get home in one piece. So yeah, I just want to apologize on my behalf about, about my behavior. I know I've been a little bit rude and I know you've been very curious. So I'll tell you what, if you're curious about something and want to know about what's going on behind closed doors, things like that, just let me know and we'll figure it out together. But you know, for your safety and for everybody's safety, it's better that we stick together and work together. Wouldn't you agree?
6: Oh, Convo, I I forgive you for being rude. Um, yes, that is. I'm I'm so glad you finally like see, and I feel so much more understood. I will definitely hit you up if I'm curious about something. You know, we we did get off to the wrong start, didn't we, buddy?
0: Convo extended his arm, hoping to shake Viviana's hand. Truce.
6: I give him a friendly fist bump in lieu of a handshake. Yeah, we are to- we're
1: friends now. As the handshake fumbled into a fist bump, Convo honestly believed he and Viviana could be friends, though he was not really sure what her definition of a friend was. Viviana, in kind, was satisfied knowing that Convo had apologized for his rudeness.
7: Ah, oh, you know, I feel slight pressure off my shoulders in regards to things. Thanks for that. I need to go get something real quick from below deck. Hold on a sec. And Convo runs to the mess to grab something.
6: And Viviana's going to take this opportunity to just go somewhere else. And yeah, she thinks the conversation with Convo went well enough.
3: Yara spots Convo going down to the ship and follows him. He catches up to him right as they reach the boxes that hold their personal belongings. And he tries to quietly pull him aside. Uh, Convo, can I... Can I speak to you for a moment? Yeah, what's up, buddy? Um, there's something, and, uh, and this is not easy to say for me, because I, I don't easily trust people, um, there's something I need to uh, come clean about. What happened, man? It is no mere coincidence that I'm on this ship, actually, um because where we're going or where we are about to go Uh uh-huh so on this island there are some people that the captain just told us about the the sunken faithful yeah they may very well have a piece of information that is very very important to me okay okay And I don't know if they, well, if they can actually tell me what I need to know. And I don't really know if these priests will part with the information willingly or where to find it. So if you, if you could trust me on this, and I know this is hard after me just telling you, but I'm, I'm not really asking for backup here, but in case I need to disappear for a quick moment. And Captain has just told us that we should be taking care of our guests here. And as you are very by the book, and I respect this, perhaps you could just cover for me if I needed to make a quick exit? All right. Tell you what,
7: Yara. We've been in here kind of learning the ropes together on the willow. I already gave you a good amount of respect based on the shit we've been through. Let's just come up with a code like uh, you tell me hey i really need to uh use the bathroom yeah yeah now nah, that'll be your code i need to go somewhere how does that sound and yeah so, without trying to laugh
3: saying yeah Sure. the The bathroom. Are you Are you really sure? Con-
7: convo is not a bright man. I'm just saying, Convo is not a bright man. Don't think we're like great level strategy here. Let's Let's make that the outhouse. <laughs> outhouse. Got it. I gotta use the outhouse. Then he gives you a thumbs up and a wink.
3: Sure. Thank you.
1: By this time, the two men had returned to the deck and stood near Lan and Viviana. Convo, who had almost exclusively not been seen wearing a shirt even during the winter nights, was now wearing chainmail with a broadsword affixed to his hip and a shield of salvaged wood slung across his back. Viviana spied carved and painted lettering on the shield, connecting the words Crimson Hollow, which looked aged, bleached, and water-beaten. The willow rocked once more, and a call from a deckhand indicated that the galleon was firmly affixed to its slip. In a moment, the gangplank had been set up, though some deckhands had already jumped to the dock, a well-practiced feat.
0: The rickety docks, constructed from salvaged shipwrecks, spanned far enough to accommodate up to six galleons, or an array of smaller ships. Currently, only a few vessels were lashed. The Round Nag, a warship flying the sea in storms of Vinylhaven, Gentile Winds, a medium-sized schooner dotted with blue-robed pilgrims, Blackburn, an elven merchant galleon, Unsalted grounds, a small Vernaskin merchant schooner, and the Willow's Wake, the galleon that Viviana, Lan, Convo, and Yara had disembarked. Ajay, Vind, and Nimble, slightly distracted, fell behind. Alright, I'm ready to go. The boss told us to be kind of guides,
7: uh, sort of, you know, watch and be careful with you and Lon as we go out there. I know it's a new place for everybody, so we're just here to support in case you guys need us for anything. So with that, he kind of claps his hands. He goes, all right, ladies, lead the way. Where are we going?
2: I think we should check out Soros Edge first. It should be down the path. Viviana
6: goes and looks at the island. Oh my god, this looks like such a
1: miserable, depressing, gloomy place. I love it. It truly did appear as a most miserable, depressing, and gloomy place. Murmurs from the Willow's crew betrayed their anxiety. Such thick fog was a foul omen. First Mate Lurs had already left the ship. Standing on the creaking boards, he discussed something with a dour-faced aquatic elf who wore long, thick blue robes and a simple hempen rope belt. The First Mate quickly waved a hand to Convo and the others to indicate that they had been cleared to disembark and continue on ahead.
7: As we're leaving, I look over at Mason, the first mate, and I see that he's elbow deep in a conversation with the dockmaster I want nothing to do with.
6: I run out of the ship, and I take a nice long stretching pause and look back at everyone and go, Someone definitely died in this island, by the way. It's it's awesome.
7: <sighs> Smell that air. What a fucking shithole. And he kind of taps Lon on the uh, shoulder and just walks away.
2: <laughs> Mind your language, please.
3: Hey, I'm a sailor. It's in the job description.
2: Hm. Fine, whatever.
3: And despite what this place looks like, um, you can see Yare as he's stepping off the ship. He has, a, he has a new sprite to his step. He looks a lot happier. And um, it might, to, to most people, it will just look as though, yeah, this is him being on holiday because he doesn't have to fix anything at the moment. But also, as he steps off the ship, and some of us might already know this, the owl has disappeared from his shoulder, taken to the foggy skies to do her thing. Oh, and just for clarity, Iago also took his backpack along for the ride.
1: The rough docks sided up to jagged and slick rocks. There was no beach here, nor much space to roam. Yet with Viviana's passive perception, she spotted what looked like the only opening through the rocks ahead. Against the eastern side of the docks, a path through the dark, rough stone appeared to have been chiseled by hand, and not in the way Lady Viviana or Lan had seen in extravagant noble homes or even in the great halls of dwarves. No, this looked crude, utilitarian, and the only way to safely navigate to whatever laid in wait on the other end.
6: This place looks terrible. Let's go see more!
1: Viviana began walking before the others could even react, and so they simply followed her to avoid being left behind.
0: Watching the others swiftly depart from the deck of the Willow's Wake, the elven prince, Vind Graeview, the half-orc shaman, Ajay Ogun, and the halfling hero and pathfinder, nimble rimble Troutspine Trout-Spine-Trout, assembled on deck. Each had just reassessed what gear they would bring ashore on their small adventure, and mister Troutspine Trout-Spine-Trout eagerly awaited their expedition.
11: Uh-oh! No, 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 don't get me wrong, I believe we all have... Uh, how can I put this? It's just that from where I come from, we don't like do this God thing, you know? So it's... it's all so very interesting to see. Because for us, Mother Nature is all around us. And we don't separate or personify her, because it's like the wind and the rain and the earth. Don't get me wrong, the beings we hear to appease are important, but it feels a bit weird to call them Gods. And I'm sorry, I don't want you to be rude, like, if you believe in these gods.
5: Like Vin's shadows, where I come from in Sangoma, we believe in many different gods. But I will not deny that some gods can be true, and others, less so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, like people. Vin Gravey fidgeted with a small charm in his wrist. He wordlessly whispered, hoping that whatever was listening took pity on him and saw fit to grant him a small boon. Perhaps among these waters and stone, it was only Neldich who could hear him. But could she hear his prayer, to be a better leader, to be supplied with the strength and bravery needed to lead his people? Here, among the crashing waves and salty air, his giving god was nowhere to be seen.
10: So, I think we have an opportunity here. Perhaps before the observance of Last Light Ritual, we should explore the sunken bulwark. Even barren rocks may hold a treasure or two. Let's see what there is to find. Or perhaps we could speak with some priests. Someone may have knowledge useful for our communities. This is a well-known pilgrimage site, after all. You think one of you might like to join me for a bit of adventure? I would rather not go alone.
11: Well, don't you worry, Vin. Here for that. I slightly tap him in his whatever my
10: 3.2-foot-high reaches. (laughs) I felt are... that on the, on the back of my kneecap. I appreciate that, <laughs> Nimble. <laughs>
5: I would be glad to accompany you, Vind. You have already shown yourself to be a better hunter
10: than your brother. May his spirit guide us. May his spirit guide us. And after a moment of silence, Vin scratches his head and quickly changes the subject, visibly still quite sad when Alex is brought up. So, I, I don't think this is something we've talked about at length, but I, I wanted to ask... I've never really traveled much beyond the greater Blackstone Forest, except for this trip. All this stuff with sea travel, boats, deep beasts, foggy islands. It's just, it's very strange to me. Unpredictable. Like, like I have no idea what to expect next. Have either of you done much traveling? Beyond the woods where I was born and Mithria
5: beneath, no. But this place is quite interesting. (laughs) Very new for me, too. And wet.
11: <laughs> well, so that's make three of us. Good. Water at home is pretty much more calm than this. Pointous waves crashing on rocks and stuff.
5: I will be honest, I am still trying to understand what it is when this this water is never ending. It is quite a lot to take in. <laughs> I agree.
10: I agree. And we do have a lot in common.
0: More than just our forest home. Yes. Hearing these friendly words, Ajay swiftly broke eye contact and shifted his weight to crack his stiff neck, sore from always ducking beneath the willow's low rafters. He surveyed the docks and land ahead, unaware as Vin noticed his shift in behavior. This deflection, intentional or otherwise, made him uncomfortable. What did the shaman know that he wasn't sharing? Ajay's expression told Vind all he felt he needed to know. When the time was right, Vin decided, the two of them would speak privately.
11: So where do we go first? The captain mentioned a temple. Do you remember the direction?
0: Well if we
5: are trying to find the temple, maps we should follow the people in the ceremonial looking robes, huh? huh? Makes sense.
0: Finn realized he was still frowning and forced himself to smile.
10: Ajay, it might be wise if you led our group, seeing as you're quite a bit taller than the rest of us. And you can see over the shrubs and trees. Uh rocks. There is a single path, so
5: I think it is going to be relatively easy for us to find our way. Why don't you lead,
10: huh? You seem to be fitting of the role. Well, I am quite used to being in the leadership role. Uh, However, uh, amongst my people, I'm I'm quite large and the strongest and and biggest of my group. And here I'd like to think that... um, Perhaps now you are, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, looking at you and your size, I... I know there's very few, um, very few people and things that may uh, want to approach us.
11: Okay, I got it. I got nimble. it. And then I start walking.
5: <laughs> <laughs> right. Ajay, Ajay does a
10: big sigh of relief.
11: That's the hustle game.
1: Vind lingered a moment longer, sliding his bracelet up and down his wrist, then under his sleeve. He had instinctively said, "'See over the shrubs and trees,' as he was accustomed to being surrounded by greenery. But here on the sunken bulwark, the wind rustled neither leaves nor grass, but swirled the heavy grey fog. This was a lifeless place. They continued, nimble, carefully inspecting interesting stones as they came into view. He led the trio without much fanfare, content to forge a path through the grey with a feeling of adventure.' In the back, Ajay leaned to and fro, skirting his antlers on overhanging rocks and outcroppings that neither Nimble nor Vind need notice. The path wound left and right, up small inclines and down short scrambles. A path carved not for ease of use, but ease of creation.
11: Well, not the most inviting name, but it's the only way, right?
5: I guess so. But it is nice to be away from the noise of the willow, though. Is it not? What? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I felt as though I might be going partly deaf. But in seeing these rocks, seeing this sunken bulwark in person, I feel though we may need to stay vigilant for dangers.
11: Well, I believe if we stay out of the water, we'll be safe.
5: Yes. Let us not try to fall in, huh? That feels like it would be... Not so fortunate for us.
10: Very, very wise of you to point that out. I think that is um, pretty obvious um, we want to avoid the edges of this cliff and um, stay as inland as possible. Uh, Vin then takes a moment to bend down to the ground, places his ear against the ground, and takes a listen. Watch out for all that shrubbery, wind, Just in case you don't want to get lost down there. Hm? Just, thank you. I, I figured I'd listen. See if I can hear anything different in the... Uh... I think Ajay, feeling a little petty
5: and upset right now, just, like, takes his staff and just, like, as his pressed his ear, as soon as he closes his eye, just starts, like, scraping the staff just really, like, subtly against the floor next to his head.
8: <laughs> <laughs>
5: <laughs>
10: just to put him off. Ah! Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> you, uh, you scared me there, Ajay. Wow. <laughs> but, but are you not concerned about what we could run into up ahead? <laughs> Our path in life will always hold trials.
5: The best we can do is try to be welcoming of such challenges, and focus on the one directly in front of us. I believe the angry halfling woman on the willow said, figure it out as we go along. <laughs> Trying to predict a place or a future is a fool's errand. A hunter must be prepared for
10: anything.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Ready for anything, huh? Seems this rock is not as dead as we thought. It's safe! Come on, guys! I would like to say, Nimble, if there are any areas you cannot jump over, I would be more than happy to carry you across.
11: My legs march more, but I can do my... all my jumping, all my, you know... Not falling on deathly rocks through the sea thing,
5: I hope. Nimble, you look perfectly nimble to me. Sorry, <laughs> I do not know a better word for it. That's a pretty good
10: word. Although the kind of bats are kind of weird, wouldn't expect something like that here. And speaking of the unexpected, I can't imagine this place if it gets much darker, but as we're nearing the literal hour of last light, Nothing but night for the next couple of months. I think it might be prudent to ask what skills you both might have if things go horribly wrong in the next few hours. With, um, unexpected terrain or creatures.
5: I will say this. If we should find ourselves in trouble, please do not be alarmed if I change a little. <laughs> My other form can be a little frightening, shall we say. But do try to hold it together. And fight by my side if such things should come to pass. (laughs) Well, we were just attacked by a couple flying sharks with tentacle faces.
11: I think we're through the (laughs) horror and being afraid stuff.
10: Yes, absolutely. I think what the flying sharks and bats have shown us is that there will be surprises in store for us. And I think that we need to be prepared to tackle them together. Nimble, you're amazing with that slingshot. And Ajay, you are a great hunter and a bridge to your people's ancestors. We were caught by surprise earlier individually while we were separated and I think that when it really comes down to it, we should really focus on having each other's backs. Our communities, our families are relying on us. Well said. I can say with some confidence that I will do what I can
5: to avoid surprises in the night. And I will make direct
0: eye contact with Vind and continue to walk onward in silence. Further up the path, Lon, Convo, Yara, and Viviana had almost reached the dull wooden exterior of Sorrow's Edge, though they were engrossed in a conversation of their own. So Lon, you mentioned doing
7: an offering. Just, what kind of offering are you thinking about?
2: I want to offer something of my personal belongings that was given to me by my grandmother. Honestly, us Delarians, we have our own very personal devout faith to Celagon different even from other cultures who worship him. However, it is also taught to us during our travelings that if we trespass on another deity's domain, it is very rude to not give him a gift, you know, to show that we respect our gracious host and mean no ill will, that kind of stuff. Since we are going to need all Nell help to not be murdered or get lost as we venture through her waters, it's the right thing to do. At least for me.
7: Yep, that makes sense. In case of emergency, never hurt anybody.
2: Yeah, I mean, you guys are seafaring, um, um, whatever languages you guys spoke. Venal, I don't understand, but you guys are seafaring folks, so surely you must believe in those traditions that will ensure safe passage on the waters. Uh,
7: well, well some of us are a little bit more su- superstitious than others. <coughs> I know the captain's very much into his offerings to Neldech, and he is a devout guy. I, myself, am uh, not too concerned with Neldech per se. I'm not into gods all that much, to be honest, and if there's one god I'd say I'd follow, it's definitely not that one.
2: What god do you follow, Freytel? Cause I've noticed from your tattoos that you've definitely been to a lot of places. Your skin is like a book or a map.
7: Yeah, I've been to a lot of places. But the tattoos don't necessarily come from those places. There's a... if you had to call me a follower of a god, I would say Tuliga, the stone lady. But she's more of a, a muse, if you will.
2: Oh, I see. To what does she bless or inspire in you?
7: Hmm. Uh, art, beauty. She's the god of inspiration.
2: Interesting.
7: Um, Ev, everything that I wish I had in life has been taken from me.
2: That is a story I like to hear over marshmallows and campfire.
7: It's not a story I'm ready to tell. But thank you. It's it's good to know that uh, uh, you are willing and uh, wanting to, to share. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I'll, I'll give it some
3: thought. How's that?
2: I will like that combo.
3: As Yara hears Convo's hesitance to tell that story, is getting a little more anxious about his surroundings. Um, Lady Lady Viviana. Um, with this observance of last light happening. Um. I think we should pick up the pace a little. If maybe you want a chance at grabbing some food that, and he's he's looking around him so that Uda is not an earshot. Um, that Uda hasn't cooked. I, I hear they have a nice uh, spit roast uh, down there. Some of the crew were talking about it. Um, you might be able to grab something more substantial at Sorrow's Edge. However.
6: Yare, right. you know, the best food that I can eat right now is is a sense of adventure, you know, man?
3: Well, that foggy path looks very promising for such fare.
6: It does, doesn't it? That's what I was thinking.
3: It might even offer some dessert from what I can tell.
6: Oh, I hope they have ice cream. I love ice cream.
3: Yara, four
7: Copper and I won't tell Uda what you said about her cooking.
2: Ha, huh, that's not nice, bro. That's not nice. Let's just get dishes. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Again, I, maybe
3: I should have rolled a deception check because Yara thinks the world of Yuda's cooking. <laughs> uh. I honestly wish I'd asked her for a small portion to take with us. I just know Lady Viviana is not too fond of her cooking.
1: Through heavy fog, a flickering oil light shone through the dense haze, and the dark shape of a building slowly took form. As they stepped closer, the meager flaking sign above the door came into view, which read Sorrow's Edge. Built into a narrow shelf along a rocky cliff, Sorrow's Edge was a peculiar kind of creature, naturally curving to fit the cliff face, which was only about 15 feet across at its widest point. The southern-facing edge stuck out over the cliff, clawing for extra space that didn't exist. The wood of the rickety building, which seemed to creak and groan in response to the roar of the waters below, had clearly been salvaged from shipwrecks and driftwood. The whole of the inn hugged the black stone as if fleetingly grasping for life. Shall
2: we go inside,
1: guys?
7: Ladies first.
2: Bang! Uh, you know what? Hold up, guys. The door might be trapped. Give me a second. And Lon, delicately searches the door's frame and handle, taking great care to make sure that we don't trigger any- Onward! And Viviana opens the door.
0: To the surprise of the party, Viviana bloodchamber opened the door to Sorrow's Edge, indifferent to the dangers beyond. Dark Dice, Shores of the Silver Thrum, Chapter 4, The Sunken Bulwark. Created by Travis Vengroff and KA Stats. Featuring Lily Pichu as Viviana Bloodchamber, Eric Nelson as Vind Gravehume. Jasper William Cartwright as Ajay Ogan, Danilo Barascini as Nimble Rumble Tracks by Trout, Florian Seidler as Yara, Enrique Perez as Convo, Sophie Yang as Lan, KA Stats and Travis Vengroff as Co Dungeon Masters, and featuring Kareem Cromfley as Captain Gelmain. This episode was produced and edited with sound design by Travis Vengroff, with dialogue editing assistance by Kayla Shu, mixing and mastering by Dane Leonardson, transcriptions by Shian Francois, and executive producers Dennis Greenhill, Carol Vengroff, AJ Punkin, and Michael Villegas. This episode features music by David Wise, Hitoshi Sakamoto, Stephen Mulin, Brandon Boone, and Travis Vengroff. To support this production and get ad-free access to bonus releases, music, world lore, art, and early access to future adventures and d materials, please join our Patreon at patreon.com slash This is a Fool and Scholar production. Thank you
9: for listening. A story of monsters, mystery, and myth. And the four adventurers who have banded together as heroes and as friends. And then he hears
4: Val's voice from above, and then he basically feels better. Yeah,
9: <laughs> <laughs> Who come together to make the world a little safer for their fellow mortals. Large creatures. I brought Hody! <laughs> yeah. yeah. We can't put yep. Hody in danger. Well, I guess it's hero time. Reckless Attack is a weekly, collaboratively built, and character driven DD 5th edition actual play podcast. Join us at our table as we explore a homebrew fantasy world whose future is built on the mistakes of the past. A story of ultra giants and saints, legends and rediscovery, and stacks of frogs.
5: Checkers is building his own Ewok <laughs> village. Yes, <it> <laughs> uh-huh.
9: Check us out at RecklessAttack.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.